Children, you are dismissed. <clears throat> you know, whenever you get an introduction that says you don't need an introduction, and then when John Palpant says the elders just couldn't, I thought he was going to say, "Think of anybody else to come." I thought <laughs> that's really where, that's really where I thought he was going to go with it. But uh, John and Nancy have been uh, good and gracious and dear friends over the years, along with a lot of other leaders in Alliance churches. Uh, John mentioned that uh, we have districts. We have uh, 28 districts scattered across the United States, most of them defined geographically, but some of them defined linguistically, meaning that we have uh, churches that worship in different languages, converse in different languages, and so they have districts with people that understand and can speak those languages. So here in the Chicagoland area, we have Vietnamese churches and Hmong churches and Korean churches and Spanish churches. They're all part of linguistic districts. Uh, and I don't speak any of those languages. In fact, sometimes people wonder if I even speak English. But uh, uh, it's, it's great to be a part of the Alliance family. We at the Alliance are now uh, about 45% of all of the Alliance people meeting in churches this morning, or maybe some last night, or maybe some this evening, across the United States uh, are going to use a different language to speak than English as their uh, form of worship today. So we're a very diverse group of people from all over the world that have come together here in the United States through uh, immigration, but also uh, people that were born here and have grown up here. And so it's a privilege to, to be a part of the Alliance family. Kathy and I just spent uh, the better part of, of a week in Colorado Springs. Uh, we came back Wednesday night. We left uh, last Friday, I guess it was. Uh, hung out with a bunch of other district superintendent couples like us along with a guy named John Stumbo, who's the president, and his wife, Joanna. And there is another layer. There's a vice president between me and the, and the president, so I don't want to overstate that at all. Uh, his name is Terry Smith and his wife, Ruth. But a lot of other DSs and association, of linguistic association presidents, we were there. And we just spent some time together. We do this every year in the fall, uh, spending some time together, talking with one another, reconnecting praying together and imagining what God is inviting us into. Now, you may or may not have seen that one of the phrases we use in the Alliance, or you may or may not have heard that one of the phrases we use in the Alliance is we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. The idea being that we want people to know when they think of who are the Christian Missionary Alliance, the Alliance people, we want people to know that one of the very first things that identifies us is we are connected to Jesus Christ. We are Christ-centered. That's the first thing that comes out of our mouth. We also then talk a lot about we will love, we will proclaim, we will uh, launch, we will reach, and we will launch. The idea that we don't hold this internally, but we release what God has given to us. It's a part of, of who we are. Well, as I was uh, sitting with Kathy along with the other superintendents and spouses out there, I heard a lot of, uh, of stories about what's going on in the real lives of people. You know, we... We carry responsibility, those of us that have the title superintendent and the spouses that walk this out together. Uh, to some degree, we are called upon to set examples in living and, and called to live the Christ life before people. I mean, it's your expectation. It's the expectation of, of every church, and, and rightfully so. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Uh, but at the same time, for all of us, life is real. And so I was uh, amazed as we had our family time on uh, Wednesday morning before we left as, as people began to share about just struggles that they're having. Uh, people talked about personal health issues and, and uh, people talked about grandchildren and children with health issues. It's hard 
to live life in this world because it's not easy. There just are difficult things that happen in all of our lives. Our president talked about the reality that our worldwide fund for missions, the sending of missionaries, international workers, is, is the giving to it significantly lower than what we would hope for at this time of year. And so it's a concern. There were multiple colleagues that are there that uh, we serve in, in terms. Uh, we, we can, each one of us that serves as a district superintendent serves in four-year terms. We can serve three, and once you get to the end of three, you need to step out of the way and allow someone else to step in. And so some of our colleagues and friends are reaching the end of their term, and they're stepping away at the end of this year or maybe even early part of next year. And so there's just lots of things and challenges, and people don't know what's next, and, and it makes life tough and difficult. But as I was sitting there, I thought, but this is real life. This is the way that all of us live. It doesn't matter who we are. Uh, we live in the midst of changing circumstances. We, we live in the midst of, of, of challenges that we don't know the answers to. And so it's very common for us to ask questions. Well, why this? Or why is that happening to me? Or why me? It's normal. It's customary. And yet we proclaim we are a Christ-centered Acts 1-8 family. Christ-centered, the beginning of the statement. It's the core of who we are. You know, life lived with Jesus is phenomenal. It's wondrous. It's, it's miraculous when we take a moment to pause and think about it. But what are the practicalities of that? What does that look like as we begin to understand what he's called us to? Well, I'd like to read this morning a passage of Scripture. You can follow along if you want, or you can just listen. I'll come back and unpack some of it along the way. But this comes from Colossians, the first chapter. It's verses 15 through 20. And once again, if you want to just listen, that's perfectly fine. He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Would you pray with me? Father, we bow before you and ask that you would open up the wonder and the truth of your word for all of us this morning. And that, Father, we might hear from your spirit as he enlightens, as he explains the truth of your word to us. Father, we are your people. You are our God. And so we kneel, we bow before you today asking that you would touch our lives and change us from the inside out. Father, thank you for receiving our prayers in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. Now, not a material likeness, a, a photo. You know, we think of image and we think of a photo or we think of a painting and and you know, that's the first thing that comes to mind. But, but he's much more than that because Jesus can't be captured at a moment in time with a photo. He can't be captured at a, in, in an image. He can't even be captured in a, in a video or something like that that has a span of time. Jesus' presence, his, 
His essence is much broader than that. It's, it's much wider than that. We can't capture him by pulling out our cell phone and, and taking a quick shot by hitting the button. The word that's in the text in the original language is icon, and, and if you think about the word icon, it, it can mean uh, like a representation of something in a holy place, but, but the word icon, at least in the computer world or in the cell phone world, often is that a little link button that you push to go to something else. It's the icon that shows up on your home screen, on your phone, or on your computer, on your tablet. So I got thinking about that a couple of days ago, and I thought, I wonder what happens if I click on the Google icon, the link button, and I put Jesus in the search engine, and then hit the go button. It was interesting. In 88 hundredths of a second, 1 billion 800 million different options showed up in Google related to the word Jesus. And all of a sudden I thought, yeah, and that's not even anywhere close to the expanse of who Jesus is. He's the image of the invisible God. John 14, Jesus said, if you've seen me, John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the image of God the Father himself. He is the manifestation of the nature, the being of God. I've got our Father perfectly revealed. When we experience Jesus through this book or in our spirits, as we listen to him speak to our hearts, we see, and I put that in quotes, we see Jesus. And through that sight, we get a picture of God the Father in the fullness of who he is, not just something captured in a photo or a painting. In verse 16, for by him all things were created for him and by him, in him, by him, through him, all things were created by him. The apostle John wrote it this way, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He was God and through him all things were made. Creation took place within the sphere of who Jesus is. He's the conditioning cause, the originating center, the spiritual locality. Creation rests with Jesus. And in that, we can clearly declare that he has provided all things and he continues to provide everything that we need. You know, there are times when I, I'm talking with people and they'll go, go through a tough time and, and, and they're saying a good thing. I mean, it, it means well. I mean, they mean well. And it sounds good and it resonates with our spirits whenever they say, you know, I'm just suffering. I'm going through a tough time, particularly a loss of a loved one. But I have Jesus and he is all I need. And I understand that. And there's even some validity, theological validity to that, and certainly some spiritual validity to that. But I also have to pause often and I say, but, but Jesus isn't all that you need, but he has provided and he will provide all that you need. I mean, in simple statements, all of us sitting in this room need to breathe oxygen to live. Well, Jesus isn't oxygen, but he has provided it for us. And so sometimes we have to go to the practical side and say, Jesus, my relationship with you is sweet, it's wonderful, it's good, it's right, but I'm hurting. Jesus, would you bring me something 
in additional to just your presence in my life that is a gift from you to me so that I might know you better and I might also take another step in life. Creation sprung from him, in him, by him, through him, for him. It's everything that we need, and it comes from Jesus himself. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. He is the unifying principle, the personal sustainer of creation, what he has put together. Creation springs from him, but it also finds its bond in him. I remember years ago, 30 years ago, probably maybe even more than that, I was in a Bible study, and this gentleman who happened to be a dentist was uh, teaching a Bible study, and I was sitting on a chair like you guys are sitting on chairs, and, and he was preaching through or teaching through this section of Scripture, and he said, did you understand that that chair that you're sitting on, Jesus is holding it together, and if he quit holding it together, you'd fall on the floor. Now, I thought that was kind of silly. I did. But then I got thinking about it as I went back to this. And it says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Creation took place at his hand, but it also is held together by the very presence, the spirit of Jesus. Long before airlines like uh, Southwest Airlines and, and what's the one that has blue in the name and a couple of other, the discount airlines were there, there were some people that began to experiment with discount airlines. So I'm going back 30 plus years in my, my, my days before vocational ministry, I was in the corporate world. We lived in Indianapolis and, and I was flying to someplace, I think it was maybe Florida, but I'm not 100% sure any longer. And I booked a flight on one of these discount airlines. And I was flying a lot in those days. And, and so I was used to getting onto the airplanes and kind of knowing what they looked like. And so for one thing, whenever you got on an airplane, I was used to those, those overhead compartments that, that you opened a door and you put your luggage in or you put some of your stuff in. Well, this plane didn't have a door. It just kind of had a net. And I thought, well, that's a little odd. And I sat down and I had a window seat and I looked out and I was used to flying on airplanes when I looked out and I saw these big engines hanging underneath the wings. And I looked out and it looked like it was a little engine hanging underneath the wing. But I mean, this was half the price of the regular carriers. And so I thought, hey, we're in good shape. But, you know, they probably cut, cut corners or costs by having smaller parts and not doors on bins and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, it's cool. I mean, you know, the FAA is still in charge of our air travel. And so it's got to be safe and we're all good. And, and so we, we got in the aircraft and, and sat down and, and we taxied out to the runway. And I noticed right away as we were taxiing out that every bump that we hit in the tarmac seemed to rattle the whole plane. I could just hear noises and things going on. It just wasn't used to. And so we get out to the end of the runway, and, and I'm, I'm getting there ready. And I'd, I'd flown dozens, hundreds of times maybe by this time in my life. And, and so I'm, I'm ready. You know, you know how that feeling is, right? You get to the end of the runway. You're, maybe you're still taxiing. Maybe you're just sitting still. And, and the pilot has already told the flight attendants to take their seat and get in their jump seats. And, and then they just shove those throttles forward, and you're just pushed back in the seat. Well, this guy pushed that throttle forward, and I thought, like, well, when's the engine going to start? I mean, we're just not even moving. <laughs> and so we slowly start walking, and that's what it felt like, walking down the runway. And the plane started to shake and bounce and, 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 and noises, and, and, and all of a sudden, that, that dentist and that thing about the chair, that came to mind. And this passage of Scripture popped right into my head. And I looked out the wing, and, and I thought the wings were moving, and, and I'm praying, Lord, please hold this airplane together. 
And it seemed like we were still going very slow. And, and then I added, and by the way, could you just give it a breath and get it off the ground? And about that time, I, I see those stripes at the end of the runway, you know, that's marking the end. They're coming underneath the wing, and I'm going, we are in deep trouble. And all of a sudden, we just lifted off. And I think we probably left some tracks in the grass at the end of the runway, but I'm, never, I'm not sure. But we made it into the air, and we arrived safely. And I had a return flight, so I had to fly back home on the same kind of a flight. But I thought this passage became real for me at that moment. Jesus, hold this airplane together. Hold this chair together that I'm sitting on. Hold my life together, because it's in your hands. He makes the universe a cosmos and not a chaos because he holds it all together in his hand. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the leader. He is the one who guides and governs. He is the chief shepherd. Friends, remember, this is his church and you are his bride. You don't belong to anybody else. You belong to Jesus. He loves you more than you can imagine. Now, I've I've got this little pet peeve. It even happened in Colorado Springs among these leaders of the alliance, me being one of them. And I do this too once in a while. Then I kick myself. But every once in a while, I hear a pastor refer to my church or Pastor So-and-So's church. And it just always grates on me. And I understand there's, there's some endearment to it and there's some responsibility. And that's good. I understand that. So I don't want to vilify people too much on this. But at the end of the day, no church belongs to any human. The church is the church of Jesus Christ. We are his bride. He died so that we might gather together as brothers and sisters in him and be adopted into his father's family. He is the head of the body, the church. Going on in verse 18, he's the beginning and firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. Firstborn. We see it in verse 18. We also see it in verse 15. Now it's important for us to remember or know that, that being firstborn doesn't mean that he was born. He was created. It's, it's easy for us to look at that and kind of go that direction, but that's not at all what it means. In fact, in, in verse 17, it says that he, Jesus, uh, was created before all things. Here he came before all things. He wasn't created. He was before all things. He was never created. He didn't have a beginning. He's always been. You see, he is the beginning. He is the creative initiative, but he's always been and he always will be. He's the origin of the source of life. And so when we look at this verse 18 and we see that he is the firstborn from among the dead, it's key, it's important for us to understand that what that really is referring to is his resurrection. He set the precedence. He is the first to experience true resurrection. Now we think of, well, what about Lazarus? I mean, he, he came out of the grave, right? Yeah, but he came out of the grave to die again. He still faced physical death. Jesus came out of the grave to never die again. And in that, offer us an opportunity to share in this new level, this new form, this this new experience of life that had never been experienced by anyone ever before. 
except God himself. He's the firstborn from among the dead. In all of this, he has supremacy and preeminence. Preeminence in rank and preeminence in time and preeminence in life. He preceded us. He is the beginning. He has led the way and he leads the way. And out of that posture, he reigns supreme with no questions asked. Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. God's fullness. Well, what does that look like? What is God's fullness? Well, just think about it. Just a few words. The fullness of righteousness. The fullness of love. The fullness of wisdom. The fullness of power. The fullness of justice. And the list goes on and on. Jesus had within him, and he exhibits, and he shares with us the complete fullness of God the Father. Every blessing, every aspect of who God the Father is, is contained within the person of the Son, Jesus. And he offers it to us and invites us. And remember, he said, you can become adopted sons and daughters of my Father. You can become my adopted sisters and brothers. We get to share with him in this fullness. Never like him, never achieving it, but we get to share with him in it. Jesus is all that God is. Verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a continuation of God's fullness dwelling in Jesus. Because God was also pleased to reconcile to all things to himself through this fullness. All things, us. To reconcile, to change from enmity to friendship to be in harmony with God. It is his desire, it is by his invitation that we may live in this intimate relationship with him. And sometimes I think we take that for granted. It's, it's just, it becomes such a natural part of who we are, just living life, though, that we forget the wonder of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's better than winning the lottery, right? It is. This opportunity to live in intimacy with our Father and, and to understand that Jesus provided the way for us. Yesterday, Kathy and I were uh, uh, able to spend a number of hours with two of our grandchildren. Uh, they live up near Lake Geneva, up on the north side. Uh, well, actually, not on the north side of Illinois. They live three miles into Wisconsin, in a little town called Walworth. And uh, Mom was busy doing something, Dad was working, and so Kathy and I uh, went up and spent the day with them. And, and at lunchtime... Uh, we paused and got everybody together at the table. It was uh, Kathy and I and Everett, our four-year-old grandson, and Emery, our two-year-old granddaughter. And we sat down at the table, and I said, Everett, would you like to pray? And he said, sure. We got a bunch of praying four- and five-year-olds in our, our family, so that's good. Uh, in fact, they sometimes compete. Actually, it isn't always righteous because they kind of compete with one another when they want to pray, and they're all at the table at the same time. But that's okay. We'll get over that. But, but ever started out this, uh, the typical way. God, you know, God, thank you, Jesus, thank you for uh, our food. Uh, thank you that grandma and grandpa are here. Uh, take care of my mommy. Yeah, I don't remember if he said take care of my daddy, but he might have. You know, just the kind of typical things a four-year-old would pray. And then all of a sudden, right before he said amen, he said, and thank you for dying on the cross for me. And I thought, wow. How often... Even in a prayer for a meal, do us sophisticated adults remember that? 
the wisdom of a child. We were reconciled to the Father through the sacrifice of the Son. There's nothing like it this side of heaven. So what do we do with all this scripture? These statements, this truth about Jesus. Let's get personal for a little bit. The image of the invisible God. Do you see God through your relationship with Christ? Is he, Jesus, and God real to you in every aspect of your life? Does he really impact who you are, the way you live? See, the question that I have to ask myself all the time, and I'm asking you today, is is what would happen in my life? How would I live my life? How would I make decisions? How would people see me if suddenly Jesus was removed from my life? I hope it would be something radical and ugly and distasteful. I hope. Because if Jesus is a part of my life, those kinds of things should dissipate and even disappear over time, or at least be significantly minimized. What would it be like for you if suddenly Jesus was no longer a part of your life? I believe, certainly I hope, that your lives would be radically different than what they are and that people would look at you in radically different ways. All things were created by him. He has provided and he continues to provide all things. Well, I have to ask you, where's your security in this world? We live in the Western world. We live in America. Our security is defined in all kinds of ways, by our professions, by our knowledge, by the degrees that we have, by the bank accounts we have, by the 401ks or whatever they may be. And, of course, it's been a little rough year for the stock market, so maybe your security has diminished a little bit if you're dependent on a 401k or or other investment portfolios. But, But where do you place your security for the next day, the next week, the next month, the next year, the next decade? Is it in those material things which will all go away one day? Or is it in the person of Jesus Christ? Now, once again, I circle back around to the idea that it's not that Jesus is all I need in life. Well, I need him desperately. Jesus provides all that I need in life. And so our security is in the person of Jesus and what he will provide as opposed to the things that the world calls us to. That doesn't mean we live foolishly. It doesn't mean that we live with faithless, faithful recklessness. That's not at all what I'm talking about. But it does mean that we, we transition where we place our trust and our expectation for how we will face every day from here through the rest of our lives. In him, all things hold together. He and he alone brings stability and peace and harmony to our lives. He is our protector from the dangers of this world, from the enemy, in every part of our daily lives, in our families, our neighborhoods, our friendships, our community, and of course here within the church. 
You see, we, we have an opportunity to live life in a different way than the world lives. Now, I know that there probably isn't harmony in every one of your families 100% of the time. There isn't in ours. There's always challenges, whether it's in our immediate family or our extended families. Kathy has a sister and a brother. They have children and grandchildren, and I have one sister living, another sister that stepped into heaven a number of years back, but, but still have children and grandchildren, nieces and nephews. And, and, and of course, there are challenges. There are times when we're not in harmony, and it doesn't all work, but... But we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus to live our lives in a way that's different than what the world around us lives. We have an opportunity to show what it's like to to love one another even when I don't really like what that person is doing. We have an opportunity to, to show to people that we place our faith and dependence in Jesus, our protector, not in being pleased by the people around me. To realize, to enjoy, to embrace his protection, we must trust the trustworthy one. That's the way it works. Trust him in everything that happens in life, even when it sometimes doesn't make sense. Or we just want to step in and start swinging away at whatever it is that's frustrating us. See, when he works in us and through us, he helps us understand what he wants us to become and out of understanding what he wants us to become, we can actually do what he asks us to do with our lives and every aspect. He is supreme. He's preeminent. He has led and he leads the way. There are times when, well, at least I get in his way. Maybe you never do, but I do. Our desires, dreams, plans, even mission, vision, and values in a local church. I know these are important matters, but, but sometimes they get in the way. But do not be mistaken that Jesus makes the body a body and all decisions revolve around him. We must focus on him. We must know him. We must follow his lead if we are to keep step with the Spirit. Jesus is the chief shepherd of the body, the church that was formed at his will and by his name. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Jesus, the perfect fullness of God. In fact, God himself. Jesus, the pathway to the Father. Peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus forms the bridge between our sinfulness and God's holiness. And there's no way to to bridge that gap except through Jesus himself. We are Christ-centered, Acts 1-8 family. I couldn't help but think as I was looking at that, that phrase or thinking about that phrase of something I said in a message 30 years ago someplace when I said, isn't it great when we think about Jesus to think of the old hymn? I'll hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus that invites us into relationship with him so that we might live in relationship with his Father for all of eternity. And remember, by the way, the relationship we have with the Father and with Jesus, it doesn't, start when, start, it doesn't start when we die and enter heaven. It starts right now, this moment, the very time when we all choose to place our faith and our trust in Jesus. From that moment forward, we begin to live the eternal life. 
Jesus stands before us with open hands as we live with Jesus as Lord of all. Questions like why this and why that and why me will still come into our minds. Circumstances will take place in life that cause us to ask those kinds of questions, and that's normal. It's customary. But I want to submit to you this morning that when those questions come into your your minds, why this, why did that happen to me, why me? I want to submit to you this morning there's a better question to ask. Cross out the why and add in who will I trust. The why is far less important when you discern, understand, and apply the who. The who of Jesus Christ. Who will you trust no matter what comes? Who will you go to no matter what comes? The only appropriate answer is Jesus. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, would you touch our hearts today and unite with us in understanding how to live in this dynamic and growing and continuing relationship with you through your Son and our Savior? Father, at least for me, and I I think nearly everybody, probably everybody here this morning would, would agree that we just want more of you in us. But we don't know how to get there so often and, and our personalities and life circumstances get in the way. And, and so, Father, in the way that only you can, would you be gracious to us and, and invite us into a, a new level of understanding of who you are in a relationship with you? Father, we acknowledge our weakness, we acknowledge our sinfulness, we acknowledge our frustrations when things don't go our way. We, we lay them at the foot of your throne and ask, Father, that in the power of who you are, in the wonder of who you are, in the, the width and the breadth of who you are, that, that you would open our eyes Open our spirits and our hearts to receive what you have from us so that we might walk in step with your spirit. We might live lives that you desire that are good for us, but also match the desires of your heart. Father, thank you for being here with us this morning. Thank you for the power of your your written word. Thank you for the power of your spirit that enlightens and explains. And Father, thank you for the presence of Jesus in our lives. And Father, thank you for putting together a plan that included the horrendous death of our King on a cross so that we might one day live as your daughters and as your sons. Father, I pray for your blessing upon Alliance Bible Church as they continue to walk out what it means to to be who you want them to be. As they represent you as your ambassadors here in this community and beyond. Father, I pray for a covering of your blessing and your empowerment over them in the days ahead. And in anticipation of what you will accomplish as you continue to invite your body, your people, into mission that you've called us to. 
We bow before you with expectation and hope in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.